Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Early Line right here on SportsGrid. I'm Dane Martinez. He's Kevin Walsh, and I hope you are ready to cock-a-doodle-do it bright and early on a Thursday morning. Kevin, it's starting to get more and more exciting here. We are starting to hear more and more details about how these leagues will be coming back. You know, I'm thinking we're only a few weeks away to maybe spring training 2.0. We're getting, you know, soccer in not only this country but others as well. We've got UFC on the brain. It feels like things are coming together, Kevin. Yeah, for sure. We're we're getting we're making progress. I, I, as I've said, kind of the whole time, I, I just want some answers, even if maybe they're not the answers I want to hear. Like I just kind of want to know where things are are standing. And I think you know people will see kind of through the um, points of discussion that we've kind of are going to get into today. Not everything is is roses, right? Not everything is, is, you know, kumbaya, as you kind of mentioned. There was going to always become a point where this would be a little bit like, all right, now let's actually get down to brass tacks. But, you know, we, mm-hmm. as you've mentioned, we've, we've got some, act- you know, some, some real live sporting events getting back on a, on a consistent basis. And, you know, most importantly, some that will be held at a, a nice time to where you don't got to be up at 530 in the morning. This is true. You mean the KBO is wearing thin on you a little bit, Kevin, setting that alarm <laughs> only for games that you don't know the players and you think it's going to go over, but then it goes under. I can understand. I can empathize with that. My alarm is set early every morning to give everybody here on Sports Grid what they need to win their leagues and win that cash. But, Kevin, here's the thing. I have been telling you for weeks that the devil is in the details, and we are now getting to some of the detailed parts. I mean, yesterday, we talked about Major League Baseball. We talked about their plan to return, right? Seven playoff teams in each league, uh, the universal DH. We'll still dive in and see which National League teams that benefit and which teams that potentially hurts in an episode later on this week. But, you know, the biggest sticking point, Kevin, is going to be who shares the pain. We've been talking about this, right? And I've said, all right, fine. If it's 80, let's say 81 games, exactly half of the season. Well, they've already agreed, they being the players, right? Mm -hmm. That for every game lost, they would take one 162nd of their salary. In essence, prorating it. But I, you know, I feel like it was a crystal ball. I told you, Kevin, a few days ago, the problem is going to be with no fans in the stands for these games, that the 81, 82, 78, 100, whatever it is, those games mm-hmm. are not going to make 100% of what they usually do for the teams and for the owners. Everything from concession stands to tickets to all the additional revenue in the community, you know, this will be an issue. And so it seems like the owners are now saying, Listen, we need the players to take a bigger hit because if we actually go ahead and play these games with no fans and have some kind of 50-50 split, it's actually going to be, you know, uh, a net negative Mm. to the owners and they're going to ask the players to take some more. I think this could be a battle back and forth and it'll be hysterical juxtaposed against the context of this country and how everybody is so thirsty for sports that these guys can't agree on how to share the pain. Yeah, there's there's a lot of issues here. And it all goes back to basically, 
them agreeing to concessions, right. and then the owners coming back and being like, hey, appreciate it, need more. Move goalpost. <laughs> yeah, like, and that's never going to work. I mean, if, if I sell you something for $10, and we agree that $10 is a fair price, right. then I come back to you a month later and be like, hey, I think that was worth 20 Bad on me. Bad on me. Hmm. Now, like, they should have never made a jumping point. And I think it's very, very possible that that offer was made and the people up top in Major League Baseball said, cool, we got him to concede that, let's take it, and when we need right. more, we'll revisit it. And I think that that's probably what took place here. Now where this gets really difficult, and there's a lot of debate back and forth, you know, as to whether we believe that the players are, you know, some people think the players may be being a bit strong-headed. Uh, some people think the owners are trying to take advantage, and we can, you know, get into which side, you know, mm -hmm. we individually land on. But if what the owners are saying is true, um, it does, you know, definitely complicate things when they say that it is not cost-effective for them to right. even play the games. They actually would lose less money. Right. By it's not a net negative for them to go out there and put it on without fans. They will lose money doing that. This is at least what the owners are saying. Whether we believe it or not is a different kind of question, that's, but they're saying they would lose money right. to go out and put these games on with no fans. And that's hard for me to imagine. I understand, like, of course, these players have their salaries, but if you play no games, mm -hmm. and what is the revenue then? Like, do, are they still... The revenue is television contracts that have already been signed. What if that are coming in already, you right. know what I mean? Like they're yeah. getting that money, whether they put replays on or live games, you know, these regional cable networks, those contracts have also already been signed. You said the same thing, like the players, oh, uh, you know, it's $10, then I come back and give you 20. This is kind of the same thing. The networks have already given these teams their share of money. And as we've talked about, that is you know, the cash cow, that's the biggest chunk of the pie, the gates, the concession stand. While that is something, that is not what moves the needle necessarily for these owners. Yeah, but what's, I mean, I guess maybe for me, it's it's difficult to imagine these networks right. being told, listen, we got close, but we've realized that it is better for our pockets to oh, not do this because we already have your money, right? Because, and that's what it in essence would come down to, is them saying, well, we already have your money. And, and it basically then shows that every single – they are not working, right? That means the owners towards returning the product. They're entirely They're working. bottom line. Right, which is not what this is supposed to be about. Says and, who? Well, okay. No, I guess you're right, right? And at the end you of know, the day – I mean, like, think about reason. it. I understand what you're saying, Kevin. Yeah. I'm a fan. I want to see this also. Mm -hmm. But who's to tell, you know, Hal Steinbrenner that sure. the priority for his business – Mm -hmm. is supposed to be the enjoyment of others instead of his profit margin. You're not, and you're not wrong on that. In fact, and there's a reason why these guys, and uh, you know, they're able to get to the you know position and level that they're able to get to. With that being said, there is there's something to the idea of you know wanting to go out there and and put your sport on. And in fact, I would even argue it's a bit short-sighted. If Major League Baseball, if we don't get a season, oh, I hear you. And it's not because of the coronavirus. And it's because the owner, we basically had a lockout because of the, like, man, baseball's been hanging on by a thread sometimes, it feels like, without all of this stuff, just due to overall levels of engagement with the sport. Mm -hmm. During all of this, you get a lockout because two sides can't come to agree on, on financial terms. 
And this is where they are looking to leverage the players because if their basic, if their standpoint is going to be take less money or get none of it, because at the end of the day, you know, 50% of a watermelon zero is nothing. And that's currently a position that they could be staring down. The right. one quote that I had seen in an article from The Athletic, and I don't think there was a name attached to it, um, but the from the player side of things is basically when the league is a plentiful, when, when the league has a sure. surplus, if you will, mm-hmm. there's not a massive call to the Players Association to say, guys, we have so much money, right. we need to divvy this Let's up. Let's give now. you a little extra on top. Exactly. <laughs> but now when everybody's getting hurt, it's okay. We all need to share in this misery, and that is exact. That is what's happening. Yep, that's absolutely what's happening, Kevin. Here's the thing for me. Remember when the players originally agreed, right? Like, hey, if it's six games, we'll take six 160 seconds off of it. The kind of idea of agreeing to prorate salaries, right? I think at that point, I think it was the middle of March. You know, before the season was supposed to start. I don't think anybody realized. I don't think anybody would have projected that a it would have gone this long. And that B, the obvious half measure interim step were going to be these games without fans. I don't think anybody would have seen the way this would have evolved and the steps that we are now taking. And so it was a short-sighted effort by the owners. I think you're right. They came out and was like, hey, this costs $10. And now they see it costs 20 The question is, do they have the right to kind of have this labor negotiation, right? I think you're absolutely right. I think it is a very bad look. I think if we get to this point where there's a path to putting sports back on and they can't agree at the negotiating table, it will set baseball back. And I think ultimately that is why there will be an agreement, right? I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think we're actually going to have a lockout or a strike. I think they will figure it out. But as I've been saying, Kevin, you know, we were all kumbaya for months and now the devil is in the details and we're going to get back to the same kind of acrimonious business relationship as we've always had. The reason why I guess I may be a bit more pessimistic than you on this is for the players, right? So if this was under normal circumstances, right, it's very easy when you make your pros and cons list to talk out a strike. But now on the pros list of a strike is no health risk. And one of the wild things about the MLB right now is we're all taught when we talk about major league baseball right now, and this is how we should be because this is the pressing issue is we're talking about it through the prism of money. Who's going to, to take the brunt of this. But the other day, Sean Doolittle put out a 15 part thread on Twitter, voicing his concerns over player safety. And we've essentially not even gotten to that point. Like, like we have to a degree that they'll test. They want to move to Arizona. But we haven't really, I feel like, gotten into the, the those details about are the players sure enough that they're safe? So if basically they're sitting there, they're already annoyed about how the owners have been treating them over the years and they feel like they've been negotiating in bad faith. Mm-hmm. They're now doing it again after they've already made concessions to them that they, were go- that they will basically only be paid the number of games out of the buck 62. And I'm not sure how that works with them even playing playoffs. So, again, like they might be, you know, the owner's better off than they're, uh, than they're leading on. And right. then on top of that, it's, well, you know what? If we all stay home, it's a financial hit. But you know mm-hmm. what? We're safer. And we're making the point that we've been looking to make as it is. I, you know, I I've been you. telling you a while, Dane, that ba- baseball is in a weird spot because those two sides do not like one another. 
No, I think you're absolutely right, Kevin. Listen, I got a friend, you know, who's like an uh, investment banker, works at UBS, and he just heard that they're going to close their offices down for the rest of the calendar year of 2020. And then that if you feel any kind of way about coming into the office, you can work remotely indefinitely. Major League Baseball players do not have that option. You know, you're hearing all over the place that telecommuting is going to become more in vogue. The way we work will be different. But professional athletes have to report to work to ply their trade. They just do. It's going to be very interesting. And then when we talk about the union, we've said this before. Maybe a 24-year-old isn't going to worry about the risk. It doesn't care about being, you know, taking this on. Meanwhile, the 37-year-old with two kids may feel differently. You know, we're also hearing about how NBA players are feeling about this because this is an issue now in every sport. We've seen that the NBA has opened up facilities. We've gotten word on some of the details on NBA and who may be kind of organizing the position of the players. We'll talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break. We are off and running. It's the early line. Come on back after this. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the early line here on Sports Grid. I'm Dane Martinez. He's Kevin Walsh. And we were talking about, you know, it all comes down to money, Kevin. It really does. And I've been telling you for weeks, it's all, oh, we're in this together. Oh, we need sports back for the country. But then when it comes to losing hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, not everybody is hugging each other anymore. But, Kevin, Major League Baseball is not the only sport starting to plot out its course to return. The NBA is as well. We talked mm. about sanitized sneakers. We talked about hazmat suits for rebounding basketballs. And now it seems like Adam Silver is starting to try to figure this out, but maybe slightly different than what we're seeing in Major League Baseball. It seems like some of the big-name players are yeah. coming together to try to get ahead of this and understand kind of like what their needs are, what they will accept, what their talking points are here in what may be another kind of negotiation here. Yeah, it's interesting. The NBA's big news day has, um, over this process has pretty much been Friday or Saturday. And we got, you know, yeah, we got quite a, quite a bit of news that, is, that has recently come out. And I think maybe the most jarring bit of news uh, came from Chris Haynes. What's really fascinating about this is how, you know, the big three all had something to bring. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is not LeBron, Bosh, and Wade. I'm talking about Chris Haynes, Adrian Wojnarowski, and, and Shams Tarana. Gotcha. And Haynes's report was fascinating because it was basically, um, you know, he's, he's a lot, I think, closer with some of the players compared to the other two. And he was basically saying, well, um, the top superstars in this league all talk. And it, it wasn't like just like lip service. I mean, he, you know, it was LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi, mm -hmm. Durant, Curry, Westbrook. Like it was it was, you know, the biggest names in the sport all hopped on a phone call together to kind of talk about their desire to get this league back up and get things on. I wish I could have zoom bombed that one. Oh yeah. 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 To be a, to be a fly on that zoom right. uh, would, would be, would be incredible. Um, 
you know, and I think it's really interesting to kind of see that, you know, when the top guys are all kind of working towards it, it makes it a lot easier for then the, you know, for Adam Silver, because he knows that he has these guys then in his corner. Kind of endorsing it. Yeah. Um, What has been, though, the the biggest caveat from that specific report, and it was stressed uh, countless times by Chris Haynes, is they are ready and willing to go as long as every, as long as it's safe. I mean, that's the the simplest way to put it. As long as they feel safe, you know, those, those big names are all ready to move forward. You know, but here's the interesting thing. And mm-hmm. I said it with baseball also, right? What's safe to LeBron may not be safe to someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, may not be safe to someone else who's got their parents at home in a compromised situation and or a baby at home. You know, I mean, it's hard for me to hear that these players are coming together, these big-name players, these all-stars, you know, the Banana Boat crew, um, and deciding what – all the players think like that's what a union is for. And I'm worried. That's like what player reps are for. And I'm worried that this, you know, we were talking off air about kind of like, you know, Giannis almost as like a super delegate, you know, and, and it <laughs> gives me a little bit of pause. Cause I think about like peer pressure here. I wonder if you're a player who happens to feel the opposite way, you know, right. do you come out and say anything? Are you bullied by the big name talent? Do you feel like you can actually say that you're concerned by this? Well, I think the so another report that came out was from Sham Strawn, who said that the NBA and the NBA Players Association are uh, forming a working group uh, and have a call on Tuesday to discuss right. the return to play strategies. Will include uh, NBA Players Association President Chris Paul uh, and players Russell Westbrook, Jason Tatum, Kyle Lowry, and Dwight Powell. And I mean, Dwight Powell is kind of the how how do you how do you right. make the how cut? Make the cut? Um, but I think to me. If, if I, I think that there's almost a – that group of players that I just named is, is maybe more so of a committee that looks to take the temperature of all sides, where I think the report around the big names was almost a PR right. sounds – I don't know if that – I don't know if, if I'm putting that correctly, but it was basically you. just giving us the idea of where these guys land on this topic. I don't think that they're about to – you know, force people into a certain direction. I, and I think part of that reason is, and, you know, maybe I'm naive to hear Dane. It's not I, even I, forcing, though, Kevin. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I know what in you, politics, I know what... like the president comes out and says something, and then everybody starts walking behind that message, you know, without any kind of explicit, you need to do this, right? Sure. But if Giannis and LeBron and Kawhi and Westbrook or, right. and Chris Paul are all coming out and saying, this is what we believe, I think there's an implicit kind of, you know, nudge that this is this is the company line. These are the talking points. See, and and where I guess where I think it's a bit different is those guys are not when the, when you say company line, like they don't care about the owners and the NBA. The like this isn't. Mom, let's say no, but I mean this is just like their personal viewpoint is they want to get back to play if it's safe, but they. As a group, they are all so player friendly. I don't personally think that if LeBron called Quinn Cook and mm-hmm. Quinn Cook was like, yo, dude, I'm, I'm not feeling it. LeBron's like, well, get in line. It's time to move. Right. I don't believe okay. I think that it's okay. Like, And I think that they're all trying to work. I mean, Chris Paul has a job to do. Like, He is the president of the Players True. Association. Like, He can't simply just cater 
to the superstars that he's having conversations with. This is a league-wide thing. I mean, there's a reason why Jared Dudley, bless him, he's amazing on Twitter, <laughs> has all of this information. Because it's not just, you know, news and notes that's being given out. There's not a superstar group chat. How many all-star teams have you made? Okay, you get put in and we'll let you know the updates of the league. Right. Everybody, the players, I believe, are getting these updates. I think it's it's a matter of them trying to figure out how safe it is. And I would say maybe of all of the pieces of news, there was one specifically from Shams, one from Woj, that were the two probably biggest pure pieces of news. And if, I think the Woj one maybe is the biggest, where basically the idea is if they do want to resume play, the idea is they need to be comfortable with positive tests Testing, and those right. positive tests not shutting down the reopening of the league. Okay, so talk to me a little bit more about that, Kevin. Like, let's yeah. put some meat on that bone, right? And we've been talking about this. We mentioned in the UFC, a fighter went down. We've talked about soccer leagues in Europe yeah. and KBO where players have tested positive, but, like, the show must go on. What are they saying in the NBA about testing and about if a player turns up positive? Yeah, so it also looks like the NBA is more so interested in starting to, you know, make sure that they have the testing and they're going to be having a very uh, strict regimen. Sure when slash if players would show up here. It makes me wonder, Dane, if Jacare Souza's positive test and then the UFC proceeding with 249 uh, has actually changed the timeline for, for at least the NBA. I, I, I'm not positive of that. There's been enough, nobody's reported the correlation, but Dana White um, during that press conference said, I've spoke to all the big leagues. They're all calling and asking what we're doing right. here. And I mean, you know, the UFC had a, a literal fighter get uh, COVID, and they proceeded on. Now, you made an excellent point when that happened. Maybe we're singing a different song if it's Tony Ferguson or Justin right. Gaethje. I mean, right. it was basically the, the hypothetical you and I have played out. of uh, The superstar gets it versus the 10th man on the bench gets mm -hmm. it. The 10th man on the bench got it, and they moved forward accordingly. Right. I think for the NBA, as they, try, as they basically say, we need to be um, comfortable with positive testing. I think there's two things that kind of come to mind. Now, the first thing is basically then, how do you limit the at, you know, people that are at risk? And what we've seemingly learned from coronavirus is it's as much as a number of, you know, these, you know, the best athletes that are younger, like they should be able to beat it. That's not a full guarantee. So you're right, yeah, that's still a risk. There's still an inherent risk there. But, you know, Mike D'Antoni, I believe, is over 65 years old. Right. And it basically is the best way to go about this, the Rockets not having their head coach. Now, I don't know, but that's one of the things that kind of jumps out to me. The mm -hmm. second thing, and it was maybe, you know, it was me just trying to figure this out from a whole, and I don't know if you would even have an answer to this, um, but if the NBA gets there, right, they get yeah. to Orlando and they get to Vegas respectively, mm -hmm. and they do their testing and they, you know, you know, they get a couple of positive tests. Right. Let's be realistic. They get a couple positive tests right. and say, OK, we're now going to begin our quarantine process of two weeks. We will be doing regular testing to check up on those players. And in two mm -hmm. weeks, the positive players have now are boom and they're good. Right. And we're all remaining in this hub. How like is it then? Coronavirus free is because is, can it still get in and at some point because that is one of the bigger concerns as well, right? Right. Is it shutting things down again, clearly? If they get in there, have their initial positive testing, get through a quarantine period, now everybody is negative. 
is there any world where positive tests can pop up again? I don't know the answer. Maybe. Of course and there I, is. I mean, you're not. Of course like, there is. Yeah. There's got to be. Okay, so first of all, I don't think you're allowed entry into the Truman Show bubble until you test negative, right? So I don't think we're going to get people in the bubble that are initially positive. Like, you won't be right. able to travel with the team into the Truman Show, okay? Right. That's that's one thing. But remember, and this is like who it is with, with any kind of medical test, right? There's the idea of false positives or false negatives, right. and there's also the idea that this stays in your system. You could get tested, but you got to get tested again in three days, a week, six months, whatever it is, right? So I do think... They have to get to the point where everyone's negative and then you're allowed entry into the Truman Show, but then they're going to test them every day. I think they're going to have to swab them or do the fever checks. They're, I think they're going to get tested every single day to make sure that the Truman bubble stays, you know, COVID free. So that's the way I think they're going to do it. I think the real question is, will they go on when it is not? the 10th member of the bench. And it is obvious that it would upset competitive balance. And listen, Kevin, I'll go right to your wrestling analogy, right? Like uh, one of the biggest names, I know one of the biggest names in the entire business decided I ain't doing this. I ain't going to the performance center, Roman Reigns and WrestleMania went on without him. Okay. I just heard this week that the internet intercontinental champion is like, I ain't doing this no more. And guess what? The show is still going to go on. I think that's actually part of what everyone has to agree to in the first place because it's going to be random who catches it. You can't protect the All-Stars, and that's part of, I think, what the All-Stars are coming together, right? You're going to have to say, yeah, we understand. If Paul George goes down, so be it. If Jason Tatum goes down, so be it. If Jimmy Butler goes down, so be it Uh, because I guess at least then – it's even for everybody, and it's just kind of the luck of the draw. I think these are the details they have to iron out as we go from, oh, my God, let's just do it together, yay, 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 to, uh-oh, what does this actually look like and mean? And that's what we're talking about. I'm going to tell you something else that we got to figure out is how the NFL will respond, right? I've been saying that the NFL will be able to follow the blueprint of what's happening right now. And here you go. It is coming to pass, right? The NFL will be able to follow the leader, just employ the blueprint that the NBA, MLS, Major League Baseball are struggling to create. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to step away for this labor negotiations. We're going to get back onto the field, try and get you guys some money. When we come back, we look at the rookie running backs and uh, prioritize who should you draft first in fantasy this year, if and when it happens. It's the early line. Come on back. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the early line right here on SportsGrid. Dane and Kevin, and we've been spending the beginning of the first hour, Kevin, talking about labor negotiations, right, and the back and forth of collective bargaining and how these things are going to come back. You know what I've said, the devil is in the details, so at least we are starting to figure those details out. But as we start to figure these things out, we got to get back on the field, and we got to think about, you know, 
leans and takes to get people some money. And the other thing, I know it sounds crazy, but I know that people are thinking about fantasy football already, mm. right? And we've had kind of the draft. We have this influx of rookies. And if you're in a dynasty league, kind of rookies are really the only people you want to think about. And usually it is the running backs who go off the board first. So we thought we'd spend a little bit of time here today thinking about these rookie running backs and how you may rank them given their fantasy situations and kind of their value for the short term and maybe even dynasty ranks as mm -hmm. we move forward. Sound good, Kev? Yeah, I'm excited to get into it. I feel like my responsibility here is because as much as I like fantasy football and I play fantasy football, I'm not a spitting statistician. So what I need to do here is not only obtain as much information as possible, but my goal is going to just try to be to press you on pretty much okay. your rankings as much as I can and, and make sure that we we come down to the most concrete guys. And mainly because I think this group here specifically, it gives you a lot of, I don't know, type of vibes. So I'm kind of excited to, to kind of get into this and, and hear how you came to your conclusion. Although I do have my top 10 sure. and anybody that knows me knows I will stick to my guns and I will stand firm on why everybody is correctly ranked by me. I believe that to be true, Kevin. Don't you worry about it. But yes, the spitting statistician is always here to help you win your leagues and win that cash. So here's what we'll do. Because you know how Kevin and I say I'm not just giving you a fish. I'm trying to teach you mm -hmm. how to fish. Yeah. So before I go through the list, I'll tell you. These are the kind of three leading indicators, the factors that I kind of considered or prioritized when thinking about these ranks, okay? The first one is as we're talking about all the time, right? These committees. Are you on a team where you're going to be the third person in a committee in a timeshare? The potential will be the lead dog. You know, every team has, you know, a pizza pie of how many carries and touches they will get. You know, so one piece of the pie is to figure out how big that is, how big of the chunk of action and touches and production they will get within their own team, if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Another thing that I always consider is what kind of team is this? How good is the offense overall, right? And, and what would their role be not only in the running game, but in the offense overall? And if this is a team I think is going to be, you know, a good team, if they're going to be winning a lot of games, right, then I think they're going to be running towards the end of the game. And that may favor the between the tackles early down back as opposed to the PPR back, that that kind of thing. And the other thing I think about straight up is the offensive line, the quality of the offensive line on that team. And so with all of those things considered, I'll tell you right now, my number one rookie running back for me is uh, Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor is one. I've told you before that I have a couple shekels on him as rookie of the year mm -hmm. in the NFL. And I believe when you put together those factors, I think Taylor comes out on top. I think they have one of the best offensive lines in the game. I think they drafted him, and we talked about it yesterday, to be the 1-1 one, one punch, right? Mm -hmm. So we already know that he's pressing right up against that 50%, if not the lead part of that backfield. I also know that, you know, Marlon Mack, you know, his contract, like there's a path for Taylor to be the lead dog sooner than some mm -hmm. of these other guys. And as we've talked about before, I like the Colts this year. I think they're going to be winning games. I think in garbage time, Jonathan Taylor is going to be that guy that parks the bus and runs out the clock. I think all of the things are there for Jonathan Taylor to be the first rookie running back that I would draft in fantasy leagues this year. So Taylor is the guy that I think I am going to end up lower on. Now we will obviously, I hope, revisit sure. this discussion in August as we, you know, prepare for actual drafts. Sure 
But I also made sure to look through, because when I was making mine, I, I wanted to kind of compare off of other rankings. And Taylor typically was, at, you know, one or two, right. um, kind of depending on the spots there. Now, he's lower for me. Okay. My concern with Jonathan Taylor, now, I think the Colts are going to be good, and that offensive line is wonderful. My problem is there's the 1-1 one, one punch right off the bat. Sure. So I struggle to figure out kind of what that actually looks like. Because Jonathan Taylor is going to be awesome to own next year when Fair. Marlon Mack is gone. Right. My problem with Taylor specifically is Naheem Hines. This isn't a 50-50 split. Right. It's a, to me, it's the three, not the two. Yeah, and that's the problem I, of what we've been saying. You're yeah, right. I feel like it's a 50-50 split for carries, and then Naheem Hines right. owns a 70% share right. of the passing work, which then means... 30% exists for Mac and Taylor. And Taylor is just not as good of a pass catcher as I think some of these other backs. And that to me, Dane, is my concern with Taylor. No, I understand that. Um, but one of the points you make is that that path to being the lead, right? And you're talking about Mac and it's a three person committee. I actually don't think many, if any, of these rookie running backs are going to be, you know, dot in the eye in the backfield by themselves you know, early on in the 2020 season. You know, I think all of these guys have some kind of committee to handle. And so I, I accept what you're doing. But I, if that's a knock on Taylor, I think it's a knock on absolutely everybody um, that is here for right now. Do you want to give me your number one or do you want to hear my number two? I'll, I'll, I, I, my number one is probably your number two. Go ahead. Based on the ranking. So I have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at one. And as you said, in fact, you know, this whole 10, there isn't a clear-cut starting running back of the 10. Right. There's nobody walking into the situation that Saquon Barkley walked into Correct. or even Josh Jacobs with the Raiders last year. That Correct. doesn't exist. So the reasons why, to me, I went Edwards-Alaire at number one is it's just the overall trust of the system that is the Kansas City Chiefs. Sure. And also where they took him. Sometimes for me, if I were to have similar bullet points to you in terms of kind of what you look for, something that I would, I would you know, add to that list is draft position. And they took this guy in the first round, the only running back selected in the first round, and then Andy Reid slaps him with Brian Westbrook, uh, you know, comparison. I agree. And I don't, you know, I don't think that that is something that uh, Big Red would say lightly. Now, Damian Williams is still there. Damian There's a lot Williams. of backs still there, Kevin. Oh, 100%. Now, I don't think that he has to deal with anybody other than Damian Williams. I, right. I know that there are still bodies there, sure. but I don't think that he has to deal with anybody other than Damian Williams. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is an incredible pass-catching back. So, And Damian Williams is someone that they, they didn't use a ton in terms of, like, his value to them was more so as, I think, a pass-catcher, Damian Williams I'm talking here, mm -hmm. um, than kind of as a pure running back. So I think Edwards Hilaire will lead them in carries, will get a ton of pass work, and it's easier for me because 50% of the Chiefs offense is better than 50% of any offense. Yeah, and that's why I said I look at the offense as well, and you're absolutely right. The Chiefs are a dynamic offense. I would put them easily as one of the top three offenses in the NFL. I do not have Edwards Hilaire. Interesting. 
I have him number three, okay? And I agree with a lot of what you said. And I'll also say this. I've mentioned this to you before. He was a guy who, before the draft, I was on. And I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to draft Prides Edward Hilaire late in a draft, you know, as a PPR back in that format. Part of why I didn't have him up as number two is because I think he will be incredibly inflated and overdrafted this year because of what you're talking about, right? He was the first round running back selected. He is with the Chiefs. Oh, my God, what an incredible fit. And I think the hype is going to get a little bit crazy on CEL uh, or CEH. I think that's going to happen. And so I wanted to kind of put that reflected in my rankings. But I do think he's got a great skill set. And Reed knows how to use them. You're absolutely right. The only other thing that kept him from number two for me is one of the things you said. There's a ton of bodies in that running back room. You think it's only Damian Williams that he has to worry about. And I think largely that's correct. But I could see a universe where the Chiefs are the new Patriots and they have four running backs. Or the San Francisco Niners of this year where there was literally three or four guys who contributed. If he's sharing with one other guy... Damian Williams, mm-hmm. you're probably right. I think there's going to be multiple backs in this rotation for Kansas City, thus kind of suppressing the ceiling for all of them. As time goes on, Edward Tolaire is going to be that dude. This year, I think uh, he's going to be part of a big-time committee, who I had at number two, um, Kevin, in between, because I do have Clyde Edward Tolaire at three. I had Taylor as one. It seems like you have similar guys kind of at the top. At two for me is J.K. Dobbins. Okay, I have J.K. Dobbins as number two, and here's why, all right? We talked about this. The Baltimore Ravens are a run-heavy team. The Chiefs are not, okay? The Chiefs are just not. Patrick Mahomes is still going to get his 4,800 yards passing, and that's Mm -hmm. another thing you have to consider. Not only the running back room, but the run-pass balance of a team, right? And so because Dobbins wound up In Baltimore, it makes me think they are going to use his ass. All right, I think he's already above Gus Edwards. Yes, there's Mark Ingram. And yes, there is Lamar Jackson. But then I go to the same thing I mentioned with the Colts. Good offensive line. We'll be winning in games. This is one of the biggest run offenses in the NFL. And then I apply your logic of look at where the Ravens drafted him. They used, I believe, a second-round pick on him. They knew they wanted to augment the running game. And then if we're talking in Dynasty, when you add to the fact that Ingram is on the wrong side of 30, I think this becomes his backfield very soon. I think we fast-forward in a year or two. We're talking about Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins as that backfield, and I think that's ridiculous. And so I'm kind of splitting debate here, but the reason I put Dobbins over Edwards Hilaire is because the Ravens are a lot more run-heavy than the Mm -hmm. Kansas City Chiefs. I was actually expecting Dobbins to be a pushback point for you when it came Mm. to my rankings where he landed at three. I thought you were going to say that he was too high for me. So I'm pleasantly surprised to see you have him at two. I think that J.K. Dobbins, so of all these guys that we're going to list here, has the highest floor. Mm. I think he has the highest floor of every single one of them. Now, I don't really know if there's a world, unless Ingram gets injured, where Dobbins can be one. Because he is going this to... Year. At, this year. Oh, yeah, yeah, This year. Because he's going to have to still split with Mark Ingram. And yes, Lamar Jackson is going to be involved in that as well. But as you said, listen, Gus Edwards last year put up some decent numbers in that offense. Right. And J.K. Dobbins is going to 1,000% move past Gus Edwards. And he's going to demand more touches, I believe, than Edwards commanded last year. I think J.K. Dobbins, I said this to you a while back, has the potential when we did our Ravens preview to lead the league in yards per carry. I think the efficiency that 
like, and this is a product of playing next to Lamar Jackson that people did not account for for foolishly, I felt like, until this past season. It is very valuable, actually, to play next to a running quarterback like Lamar. It makes you more efficient. Yes, he'll take some work. And yes, he probably is going to lead you in carries and yards and rushing and touchdowns. That's all right, though, because now there's so many to go around. They're the num- they were the number one offense by DVOA last year. They're the best rushing offense in football, and he's going to be a part of that. I think that he is the safest back available. All right, so we sort of agree on the top. The devil is in the details, though, Kevin. We talk about the rest of our top ten when we come back on the other side of the break. It's Dane and Kevin right here on the early line. Get on the grid. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build and optimize lineups for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Hey, everybody, back here on the early line right here on SportsGrid, Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh. And what we're doing is we're looking at some of these rookie running backs and seeing who should you potentially pick first in fantasy football drafts this year, right? Now, of course, you got to check your settings, right? That's the number one rule of fantasy, Kevin, whether it's Mm -hmm. dynasty or redraft leagues, is it PPR? Because some of these guys, either Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or some that I know we're going to mention coming forward, are definitely better in a PPR format than in, you know, a standard format because we think they're going to do work out of the backfield. Now, what's interesting to me is we've talked about three backs and we have yet to talk about who everyone thought was the best running back entering the draft. You know, the guy who was the favorite to be the first running back selected. Neither one of us have mentioned DeAndre Swift out of Georgia. Where do you have him in your ranks? So I actually have Swift up at two. Okay. And my thing with Swift is... He was the second back off the board here. I don't know, did I just rank these guys by where they came off the board? I don't think so. <laughs> um, but to me, the thing with DeAndre Swift is he is better than Carryon Johnson now, for yep. sure. And I think with some of these guys, I'm not – I don't know how confidently I can say. Like, I know Edwards Hilaire will be better than Damian Williams. And I know that they like Jonathan Taylor more than they like Marlon Mack. But I know that DeAndre Swift – is better than carry on Johnson now. And that to me off the bat, I think he's going to be the starting running back on the depth chart. And I don't know how true that is for a lot of these guys down the list to where I can confidently say that they're going to be put as the top running back on that depth chart. And he's not only better than him as a running, like he's a better pass catcher as well. It's, it's might be his best strength. And yes, as well, He is, to me, the best running back in this class. All of that multiplied by Carrion Johnson's eventual injury, which I don't mean to say lightly, but if we've been following Mm -hmm. Carrion, it's inevitable. To me, I think DeAndre Swift is is at two, and and I feel pretty good about it. Okay, fair enough. I took an opposite position on Swift, Mm -hmm. okay? And part of the reason why, I don't dispute a lot of what you're saying. I think he is, skill-wise, the best overall running back in this class, okay? Mm-hmm. Detroit has not had a running game in decades, 
Okay, and I think that's something that I think about. When you think of Detroit, especially under Matt Stafford, you think about a passing offense. We just finished the Detroit Lions preview earlier this week, and we were talking about Marvin Jones. We were talking about Kenny Galladay. We were talking about Matthew Stafford as one of these safe quarterbacks to draft that's Mm going to get us 4,400 yards passing, right? The Lions, in my opinion— are a passing offense. They are only now rebuilding their offensive line. And you and I both think that they're going to be under 500. So to me, that's a lot of dump downs. That's a lot of garbage time for this Detroit Lions offense. I do not know if Swift is going to be this three down back. I'm worried you're going to see a lot of Ty Johnson on third down. I'm worried that you're going to see a lot of whoever that theoretic option is in third down. I don't think Swift, even if he is the lead back, I don't think he's going to see as much, as many snaps when they are down in games in the second half. I just don't. I also do not believe in the Lions running offense. I just don't. And so for me, he takes a a tick back. Now, if this was Zeke Elliott, if this was Saquon Barkley, then his skill would kind of override all of that. But I have concerns about the Lions offensive line, about the Lions offense, about the Lions being a passing offense. And there is a committee. There is still carry on Johnson. So I have him all the way down at five. I have him all the way down at five behind Taylor, behind Dobbins, behind mm-hmm. Edwards Hilaire and behind one more that we'll get into. But does any of that resonate with you, Kevin? The Detroit Lions have not had a running back go for over 100 yards in a game. Uh, you know, carry on Johnson did it once in the last mm. uh, year or two. And yeah. that was some kind of magical moment that hadn't happened for the Lions literally since like Barry Sanders. Yeah. So it's not a slight on Swift, but I just don't think the environment is good for fantasy production for him. So I think, right, we just talked about a Chiefs running back, a Ravens running back, and a Colts running back. Mm-hmm. And now the Lions. So I totally, I totally understand. And that's the big difference. And that's why I said the factor is this team and how dynamic yeah. this team is. That's where Swift loses it for me. I would have loved him in another spot. I think where you and I differ, and I, I fear, right, because I'm now basically asking Matt Patricia to not be bad at his job. Hopefully, though, he's not involved enough with the offense to mess this up. Mm-hmm. But I think that even if they are throwing the ball 40 times a game because their passing defense is so awful and they let Slay walk and didn't mm-hmm. think that they needed – like, in fact, the underslip shouldn't be on this team. They should have took a corner here. Fair. Nevertheless, he is. I think the, like, the way to get the value out of DeAndre Swift is for him to, to use him as to a pass catcher. Like, I'm not saying he needs to be Christian McCaffrey and lead the team in receptions, mm-hmm. but he also should be, like, up there in terms of receptions for running backs. Now, if they mess this up, Dane, yeah, and then 100%, that's where I think you and I differ when it comes to the idea around DeAndre Swift. And I'll also just toss this out there because, um, you know, kind of uh, before we got, we got rolling here, um, you know, I was looking through those rankings that you had tossed me. I believe it's Mike Clay who puts them right. together kind of like a power ranking system. Yeah. And I was oh, looking at the groups, N- yeah. I was looking at the NFC North, like the overall, because we're going through the NFC North. Mm. And I was like, all right, the Packers are first, then the Vikings, Bears Some are good D lines he's gonna face. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, but I was like, wow, the Bears are pretty low. Um, you know, I know that you know you're low in the Bears. I'm like, wait, I can't find right. the Lions. Like, did they not make the 32? The Lions actually were 15th. And we're in front of the Vikings mm. through those Mike Clay power rankings. Now, that's one man's opinion. Sure. But I think to me, it almost confirms some what my idea around this team is. I actually kind of like some of the things that they're offering. It's just Matt Patricia. And, it, and I won't right. be able to get past it until he's pretty much gone. 
So I wonder if the Lions actually could oddly surprise us this year. Um, but yeah, I just think there's a lot of paths to success for DeAndre Swift. And I, I would say, you know, clearly more so than you. Yeah, and that's fair. But I don't think they have a good offensive line. I think they have a below average offensive line. And here's the deal. A year ago, a lot of people thought on Johnson had the skill to be a breakout running back, right? right. Like just his skill set, not his injury, you know, that he was a back that could do work. He was being drafted as a high-end RB2 last year, mostly because of his skill set, right? And then before any injury happens, week three, 20 carries, 36 yards against your Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, that's, you know, so season opener, 16 carries, 49 yards. OK, um, you know, he had one game where he went over 100 yards and that was a revelation for Lions running backs. Right. Yeah. 13 carries, 34 yards, 10 carries, 42 yards. OK. Yeah. And we thought carry on Johnson was a good running back, his own skill set. So I could see DeAndre Swift putting up similar lines, not because of DeAndre Swift, but because of the Lions offense. But this is something we will continue to look at. All right. Yeah. I told you I have him five. That yeah. is pretty low. So you may beg, who do you have as number four speeds? I'll tell you, Kevin. <laughs> and I'll tell you this. I'm going to have an asterisk here. This is in PPR formats only. Okay? So do you know where I'm going to go, Kevin? I'm going Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm going Keyshawn Vaughn in Tampa Bay. And here's why. I believe that the PPR pass catching back for Tom Brady is an incredible role to have. We've yeah. seen it forever. James White. Deion Lewis, Rex Burkhead. Okay, now I understand that Tom Brady is going into a different offense. I understand that there's Mike Evans and Godwin and Gronk and all those weapons, but he loves to check it down. We're calling Tom Brady potentially as an elite game manager in this role. Bruce Arians is saying that. He's saying if he cuts out the 30 interceptions of Jameis, they win 10 games. And guess what? I agree. We also look at what's there already in Tampa Bay, and that's Ronald Jones, a guy who's had an up and down first two years, and it's definitely more of the early down role. I think Keyshawn Vaughn is the winner of the sweepstakes of like, you just mm. happen to land in the best place. I think DeAndre Swift lost that competition. It's kind of the worst <laughs> position for him. I think Keyshawn Vaughn is not a name I was thinking about going into the draft, but I was thinking whoever that third down back for the Tampa Bay Bucks is, is someone who's viable in PPR formats, and it happens to be Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm going to be very interested to see if he builds chemistry with TB12 and becomes that check down monster. So Keyshawn Vaughn is he, – he landed six for me. And okay. So the thing is, a lot of the – for me, I felt, right, is I'm like, these are all very dangerous because it takes, like, two things for one of these guys to be the obvious number one guy on this list. Right. And I think for Keyshawn Vaughn, the path to that should be maybe the easiest of all because of the running backs that are in front of him are, are not guys that Bruce Arians in any way is tied to. He also, like, well, he, he, he'll bench either of them. My concern with Keyshawn Vaughn, I heard this comparison, Dane, and it, it sent chills down my spine. I mean, David Johnson. And you might think, how is that a bad thing? David Johnson. I love David Johnson. I thought that David Johnson was the best running back in football when David Johnson was doing his thing. I, I, I made that argument many of times in early mornings with Mike Blewett and, okay. and, was, and was told to, to kick rocks. The problem with David Johnson in his rookie season he was obviously the best running back the Cardinals had. And Bruce Arians was still, it took him forever, forever to make right. David Johnson the guy. 
Now, it was very good to have him on your team by the time we got to the fantasy playoffs. He was one of those guys that you win leagues by if you picked him up at the right time. And Keyshawn Vaughn is going to be much uh, heavier drafted than David Johnson was when he was a rookie. But that is this lone concern that I have with Keyshawn Vaughn that Bruce Arians might slow play it a little bit too much. And that's fair. You know, that is, in fact, possible. I just think, listen, Tom Brady always checks down, and I think you're right, but it's really only Ronald Jones there, okay? Yeah. And and I don't know that Ronald Jones moves the needle. I think the opportunity is there. They're a high-flying offense. Remember, similar to what we talked about with the Colts or the Chiefs, the Tampa Bay Bucks, I think, were third in the NFL in points scored last year, and that mm. was with Jameis Winston. And I think Tom Brady will use him in a smart way. So I've given you kind of my top five. You said Vaughn was there for six yeah. for you. That means there's one guy out there that we haven't mentioned that's pretty high up for you. I know you had him number five overall. Who's that running back you're talking about? That's Cam Akers. And mm. I almost called an audible last night and moved Cam Akers up to, like, one. Wow. Cam Akers is someone that I am – I think of all these guys, Cam mm -hmm. Akers feels like, now, of course, you know, we don't know what the ADPs will look like, but he feels like the guy that ends up on, like, the guy I will draft the most is Cam Akers. Okay. Pretty much, as we look through a lot of these guys, right, I think Akers might have the best chance to command about 80% of a backfield mm -hmm. because this team had Todd Gurley last year. Sure did. And they, you know, we saw Touch what happened vacated. with Gurley. Everything had to go. Gurley had to leave. And, and, you know, to step up was, you know, Anderson, who they used the high draft pick on in the, in the draft prior, Malcolm Brown. And they could have picked up one of these RBs off the scrap heap to come in and fill in for Todd Gurley. And instead, with the first pick that they had available to them, because they didn't pick in round one, the first thing that, Todd, that Sean McVay thought was necessary for this football team was to bring in a running back. And he made that selection with Cam Akers, who is very, very talented, did not have a lot of favors done to him by that Florida State system and offense. Right. And I think he's super talented. They're clearly not tied to Henderson. I think coming out of camp, he can win this job. All right, we'll talk about this more in hour number two because I have Akers in my top 10, but a little bit lower than you. We continue the rookie running back conversation when we come back in hour number two. It's the early line right here on SportsGrid. Come on back, get the edge. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com.